Thank you, Alan. My friend and brother, Mark Hazard, is here tonight in the back row there. Welcome. Good to have you here, Mark. And I also want to just apologize on behalf of the sound uh, team. We're continuing to learn uh, how to use this equipment. And for some reason, the mics are contradicting each other, uh, the wireless and one of the mics. So we're making do with this one. But you all can hear now, right? Okay, that's the main thing. Genesis chapter 37. Would you turn in the scriptures with me to Genesis and if you don't have a Bible, we have a number of pew Bibles. Uh, we just ordered a case of ESV. So Jeff is jumping up quickly. If anybody would like a copy of the Scriptures, you don't have one, uh, just kind of catch his eye. He's got a bunch, and he'll get more. So some right up here in the front row as well, Jeff. Anybody else need a copy of the Scriptures? <clears throat> yeah, he'll make his way around there. You might have to share if uh, you're sitting beside someone else that doesn't have Scripture. Genesis chapter 37. Genesis this is the first book of the Bible. It's all the way on the left-hand side. So when you open the cover, you get through the table of contents and introduction. Genesis is there, chapter 37. And I'm going to begin reading at verse 2 and all the way down to verse 28. So it's a long passage tonight. Bear with me, please. Joseph, being 17 years old, was pasturing the flock with his brothers. He was a boy with the sons of Bilhah and Zilpah, his father's wives. And Joseph brought a bad report of them to their father. Now Israel loved Joseph more than any other of his sons, because he was the son of his old age, and he made him a robe of many colors. But when his brothers saw that their father loved him more than all his brothers, they hated him and could not speak peacefully to him. Now, Joseph had a dream, and when he told it to his brothers, they hated him even more. He said to them, Hear this dream that I have dreamed. Behold, we were binding sheaves in the field, and behold, my sheaf arose and stood upright, and behold, your sheaves gathered around it, and bowed down to my sheep. His brother said to him, Are you indeed to reign over us? Are you indeed to rule over us? So they hated him even more for his dreams and for his words. Then he dreamed another dream and told it to his brothers and said, Behold, I have dreamed another dream. Behold, the sun, the moon, and eleven stars were bowing down to me. But when he told it to his father and to his brothers, his father rebuked him and said to him, What is this dream that you have dreamed? Shall I and your mother and your brothers indeed come to bow ourselves to the ground before you? And his brothers were jealous of him, but his father kept the saying in mind. Now his brothers went to pasture their father's flock near Shechem. And Israel said to Joseph, Are not your brothers pasturing the flock at Shechem? Come, I will send you to them. And he said to them, Here I am. So he said to him, Go now, see if it's well with your brothers and with the flock, and bring me word. So he sent him from the valley of Hebron, and he came to Shechem. And a man found him wandering in the fields. And the man asked him, What are you seeking? Well, I'm seeking my brothers, he said. Tell me, please, where are they pasturing the flock? 
The man said, they've gone away, for I heard them say, let's go to Dothan. So Joseph went after his brothers and found them at Dothan. They saw him from afar, and before he came near to them, they conspired against him to kill him. They said to one another, here comes this this dreamer. Come now, let's kill him and throw him into one of the pits. Then we'll say that a fierce animal has devoured him, and we'll see what will become of his dreams then. But when Reuben heard it, he rescued him out of their hands, saying, Let us not take his life. And Reuben said to them, Shed no blood. Throw him into this pit here in the wilderness, but don't lay a hand on him, that he might rescue him out of their hand to restore him to, the, to his father. So when Joseph came to his brothers, they stripped him of his robe, the robe of many colors that he wore, and they took him and threw him into a pit. The pit was empty. There was no water in it. Then they sat down to eat, and looking up, they saw a caravan of Ishmaelites coming from Gilead with their camels bearing gum, balm, and myrrh on their way to carry it down to Egypt. Then Judah said to his brothers, What profit is it if we kill our brother and conceal his blood? Come, let us sell him to the Ishmaelites, and let not our hand be upon him, for he is our brother, our own flesh. And his brothers listened to him. Then Midianite traders passed by, and they drew Joseph up and lifted him out of the pit and sold him to the Ishmaelites for 20 shekels of silver. They took Joseph to Egypt. Now, if, if anybody in biblical history had a reason to become bitter or angry about the circumstances or the deal that he was dealt, it's got to be Joseph. I mean, Joseph was the second youngest of 12 brothers. I I could well imagine there was a bit of sibling rivalry in that household. 12 brothers, not four, but 12. 12 brothers. And the older brothers were all jealous of Joseph because their father loved Joseph more than he loved the rest. That's what the text says. That's what we just read, right? Doesn't make it right, doesn't make it proper, but that was the case. The father favored Joseph. And when the problem came to a head, the brothers threw Joseph into a pit and then left him there to die. But some traveling merchants came along, and so they sold him into slavery, and those guys took him into Egypt. So now he's in a foreign country, ripped away from his family, hated by his brothers, Mourned by his father. He can't speak the language. He can't read the newspaper. TSN does not broadcast the highlights in Hebrew. This is a mess. This is a colossal mess. And he's enslaved against his will. He has no desire to be there. Now, as you know, the story rolls out. On top of all of that, his master's wife tries to seduce him. And when he resists her... She cries foul and and falsely accuses him of rape, and he's tossed into prison. I mean, he's lonely, he's hurting, he's enslaved against his will, he's in prison. The guy's going to say, Lord, why me? This just is not fair. I mean, any human being would respond that way, right? I'm not sure I'd even make it that far. But the greater the obstacle the more glory in overcoming it. 
And the greater the obstacle that we face and overcome, the more glory goes to the Father. So now fast forward several years and notice what happens to Joseph's attitude. Uh, By this time, by Genesis chapter 50, his father had died. And it says in Genesis 50, 15, when Joseph's brothers saw that their father was dead, they said, it may be that Joseph will hate us and pay us back for all the evil we did to him. So they sent a message to Joseph saying, your father... Joseph, your father gave this command before he died. Say to Joseph, please forgive the transgression of your brothers and their sin because they did evil to you. (laughs) Can you just just hear the 11 brothers saying to Joseph? Your father said this. This is what he said. We got it written down here. Please forgive the transgression of your brothers and their sin because they did evil to you. And now, please forgive the transgression of the servants of the God of your father. And Joseph wept. When he spoke to them. Yeah, sorry about that. His brothers also came and fell down before him and said, Behold, we are your servants. But Joseph said to them, Do not fear, for am I in the place of God? As for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good to bring it about that many people should be kept alive as they are today. So do not fear, I will provide for you and your little ones. Thus he comforted them and spoke kindly to them. We've got to back up to verse 20. You intended to harm me, but God intended it for good to accomplish what is now being done. We could park there. But what an astounding attitude. Joseph had. I mean, it's just an amazing attitude that he has. It's remarkable, if not miraculous, that a man would respond to such adverse circumstances like this. But he did. And I have read this over and over and over. Chapters 37 to 50. Genesis 37 to 50. I've read those chapters over I don't know how many times in the past few months. And through this inspired series of events, with the Holy Spirit hovering over top of all that has taken place in Genesis 37 to 50, I have learned so much from his life and his journey. I can't even begin to tell you, although I'm going to try and tell you in the few minutes remaining, a little bit of what I've been learning through this journey of Joseph. God sees everything we go through and He cares about every single detail in our lives. Amen? You believe that? Yeah, I do too. But, but you know, really, we, we, we wonder, where, where can we go? When, when it seems like all of the circumstances of life have turned sour, where do we go? Who do we turn to? Where, where does our help come from? I mean, when all hell breaks out against us, to whom do we go? Where do we turn? When our friends desert us, when our enemies taunt us, what will we do? When adversity comes and threatens to overpower us and bitterness begins to creep in, where can we find strength? The first source of strength that I see at work in Joseph's life is the plan of God. The plan of God. 
God was not surprised that Joseph's brothers hated him. God was not sleeping when they threw him into the pit. God was not shocked when they sold him into slavery in Egypt. He knew that was going to happen. For some reason, that was the part, part of the plan of God for Joseph's life. Joseph said it best. They meant it for evil, but God meant it for good. So God's plan is, is much bigger and much better and much stronger and much higher than ours, right? You remember what he said in Isaiah 55. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts than your thoughts. I'm so glad about that. His thoughts and his ways are higher and stronger and better than mine always. In Romans 8.28, we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. For those who are called according to his purpose. Now this verse doesn't say that everything that happens is good. Right? It doesn't say that. Lots of evil stuff, lots of bad stuff happens to people of all ages and all religions. But it does say that in the life of a Christian believer, God makes all things, even the bad things, eventually work out for good. That's what it does say. He'll bring out the greater glory in the long run. He will use ways and means that we can't even imagine at this point. Who would have thought 27 years ago that we would have an angel living in our home for 27 years? So you just never know what God is going to do. So when we understand this truth, we can look back and say, you meant it for bad, God meant it for good. You meant to destroy me, God used it to develop me. You did this to tear me down, but God allowed this to build me up. No matter what happens, my friend, remember the war has already been fought and won on the cross. Jesus paid it all. And the final outcome is in God's hands. His plan is always perfect. Another true source of strength for me in the times of adversity, the promises of God. You know, when I'm going through a, a crisis or... <laughs> When the circumstances seem like they are against me and I can't see uh, any light at the end of the tunnel, I, I simply open my Bible and begin to read or reread some of the great and magnificent promises of God. And there are many. Pretty soon I start to gain a heavenly perspective and my my heart gets recalibrated and I, I'm not thinking that having a pity party is such a good idea after all. Because I sent out invitations to my pity party and nobody came. So there I was, all by myself. Well, there were three of us, me, myself, and I. But it was a terrible party. And, and, and when you celebrate pity like that, you just, you just get further and down and deeper down into the pit. 
So I open my Bible and I begin reading some of these promises, like Psalm 46, 1, God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble, right? And Psalm 91, 1, He who dwells in the shelter of the Most High will abide in the shadow of the Almighty. Amen. And what about 1 Peter 4, 12 and 13? Beloved, don't be surprised. I don't, we, it says right there in the scripture, don't be surprised when you face a fiery trial. But we always get surprised. We're always surprised. Oh, look what's happening to me. Surprise, surprise. God says right there, don't be surprised. Don't be surprised at the fiery trial when, not if, when it comes upon you to test you as though something strange were happening to you. But rejoice. Yeah, rejoice insofar as you share Christ's sufferings that you may also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. Thank you, Lord. And 1 Peter 5.10, And after you've suffered a little while, the God of all grace, who's called you to his eternal glory in Christ, will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. So I just opened my Bible, and I began reading some of these magnificent promises from God's word, and all of a sudden, you know, my whole perspective changes. It's just like I'm, I'm, I'm realigned. You know, I was going down this terrible path of having a pity party, and all of a sudden, I'm thinking, thank you, Lord. I haven't got a clue why you've allowed this into my life, but I'm, I'm thanking you for it anyway. One of these days, I will have better understanding. Look at this. I mean, wow, look at this. Second Peter chapter 1. His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of Him who called us to His own glory and excellence, by which he has granted to us his precious and very great promises, so that through them, through the very great and precious promises, you may become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped from the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desire. How amazing is that? God has given us his very great and precious promises and made us partakers of the divine nature. So what can man do to me? Nothing. There's a third source of strength that we should look to and that should be able to help us when we face adversity or when we get tempted beyond repair, and that's the people of God. I, I'm, I guess I'm just crazy enough to believe that every church ought to give itself to loving the people in it. I just think that's, that, that kind of sounds biblical, doesn't it? We ought to love one another. We ought to care for one another. The, we ought to be a caring community of individuals who really love each other. Last fall, a 37-year-old Darnell Barton was driving a school bus full of high school students and uh, came to a bridge and was crossing the bridge when all of a sudden he spotted a young woman standing in the center of the bridge on the wrong side of the guardrail. And so he slowed his bus and stopped his bus and, 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 and opened the door and spoke to the woman 
And she, when she looked at him but didn't respond, he knew that something was wrong. And so he got out of his seat and he uh, stepped down the steps of the bus and got as close to her as he could. And then he, this is what he told the newspaper. She turned back to look at me and then back at the traffic. And that's when I kind of lunged and got my arm around her body. And Barton proceeded to guide her back over the right side of the guardrail with his strong arms. He's a big guy. And they together, they just sat down on the pavement in front of the bus and waited till the police arrived. He just quietly talked her down. As the story goes, a surveillance camera revealed that a cyclist and a pedestrian both passed by this woman in distress and never stopped. But Barton, who confessed to being raised in a church, heard his mother's voice, he said, in the back of his head, telling him to do the right thing. And when Barton got back on the bus, all of these high school students just stood up and gave him a a, a standing ovation. I mean, what a hero. I got thinking to myself, you know, I need people like Darnell Barton in my life, uh, people who will stop and, and, and climb over the guardrail and grab me and talk sense into me from time to time. I need that. Sometimes that's what I need. And sometimes that's what you need too, right? And, and sometimes I need to be that guy who stops the bus, pulls to the side of the road, jumps out and gets, gets messy, gets dirty, gets, gets inconvenienced, gets, gets involved in somebody else's junk, Sometimes I need to be that person. And sometimes you do too. That's the calling that we have upon our lives as Christians, to love one another and get involved in each other's lives. The Bible says in in 2 Corinthians chapter 1, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our affliction, so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. So God comforts us so that we can comfort others. See, the comfort that we receive is not meant to be, you know, terminal comfort. You know, it stops here. It's, we're supposed to be like conduits, you know, where, where the, the compassion and care of God just flows through us to other people. We receive compassion from Him so that we can share it with other people. That's the way it's supposed to happen. Are you doing that? Or are you so focused on your own stuff that you don't bother to pass it on? Once you get the compassion, once you get through, once you get prayed through, once you get filled up, once your tank gets refilled and you get re-energized, what do you do? Keep it all to yourself? Not supposed to. Supposed to share it. God comforts us so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction. Well, don't ask me to talk to to that person who has cancer. I've never had cancer. How, how, How am I supposed to comfort them? Oh, just go back to the text. God comforts us in our affliction so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction. So it doesn't have to be... You know, tit for tat doesn't have to be cancer to cancer. doesn't have to be divorce to divorce. doesn't have to be depression to depression. 
She says, if you have received the, the comfort and compassion of God in your affliction, whatever your affliction is, you are now qualified, stamped and approved, ISO, ready to go to share God's compassion with somebody else who needs it. Does that make sense? It's, it's just what the Bible says. Oh, I don't know. We desperately want that to be part of the DNA of the gathering. And so there might be people sitting behind you, in front of you, on either side of you tonight. Two or three people down, to the left, to the right, a couple rows. There, there, there are people here tonight who need Jesus with skin on. And, and every Saturday night before this, there, there have been people who need that. And every Sunday morning at 10 o'clock from here on in, there will be people in our audience who need Jesus. Could you be Jesus to them? Sometimes it's just as simple as saying, hey, let's go get a coffee together. I haven't met you yet, but I'd like to get to know you. So far we've talked about the plan of God, the role that His sovereign purpose plays in our adverse circumstances, whatever they may be. And I spoke about the promises of God and how they reshape your perspective. They recalibrate your heart and, and get you going in the right direction with a positive attitude again. And then we looked at the people of God and the role that we're supposed to play in each other's lives, comforting one another in our affliction. And the fourth and greatest source of strength for me personally, and I know I'm, I, this is a bias, a personal bias, but the presence of God to me is just a, a very powerful antidote to being overwhelmed by my circumstances and bitterness. The presence of God. In Genesis, way back in Genesis, Joseph suffered so that in the long run, when the famine came to the Middle East, all his policies of food storage would save thousands and thousands of human lives. Well, many years later, Jesus suffered so that in the long run, when spiritual hunger hits people like you and me, his crucifixion on the cross would save millions and millions of people from their sin. Joseph is dead and gone, and we still talk about him. But Jesus Christ is very much alive, and he's here tonight. He's in the house. Jesus is here. He's right here with us. And when God said to his people back in Second Chronicles 20, he says to us tonight, you will not need to fight in this battle. <laughs> Put your weapons down. You don't need them. Stand firm. Hold your position. And see the salvation of the Lord on your behalf. Don't be afraid. Don't be dismayed. Tomorrow, go out against them. And the Lord will be with you. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. The Lord is our companion in the darkest hours of life. We don't have to go out to fight. He's going to be with us. <laughs> and He's going to go before us. Horatius Bonar wrote a hymn called, I Heard the Voice of Jesus Say. And two of the stanzas go like this. I heard the voice of Jesus say, Come unto me and rest. Lay down, thou weary one. Lay down thy head 
upon my breast. I came to Jesus as I was, weary and worn and sad. I found in him a resting place, and he has made me glad. So maybe, you know, maybe you've been hurt by a neighbor or or a friend or a church. Maybe you've been hurt by a family member, somebody somebody related to you, just like Joseph was. His own brother sold him into slavery and wanted to get rid of him and threw him in the pit. You know, maybe you've been hurt by a family member. I don't know. But if you have, why don't you do what Joseph did? Don't give in to self-pity. Don't give in to bitterness because it will ruin and wreck your life. And you will never recover. If you give in to bitterness and stay there, you will never recover. Just take all the pieces. Turn them over to the Lord who is present in our lives. Let Him bring something new and fresh out of tragedy. Let Him turn tragedy into triumph. Let Him bring gold out of ashes. Turn to the presence of God and just invite Jesus to enter or to re-enter your life, your circumstances, your situation, your bitterness, your, your difficulty, your abandonment, your rejection, your divorce, your disease. Invite Him in. Invite Him to be a part of that. Don't, don't keep Him at arm's length. Welcome the presence of God. Welcome, let's welcome it. Out of the worst, God can bring the best. Remember, remember, what, remember what Joseph said? You meant it for evil, but God meant it for good. And so, in the long run, go with God. It's always best. Come to Jesus just as you are, weary and worn and sad, and find in Him a resting place, and He will make you glad. Let's pray together. Father, what what joy there is in hearing Your Word declared, to hear truth, to read Scripture together, to sing songs of worship. Lord, if anyone who is here tonight is, is going through difficult circumstances, trying to overcome adversity or overpower bitterness, I pray that they would have received the help they need from Your Word. And yes, we may need to be Jesus with skin on to a few, even tonight. And so, Lord, I pray in advance that as, as Alan and Shelley come to the front to pray with folks who may need prayer, Lord, I, I just pray that you draw people um, to come, to come for prayer, to say, yes, I, I, I need something else. I need something more. Thank you for your abundant provision for us in every way. We give thanks to you in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, the, I-